Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you've joined us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We end the work week with good, bad, and crazy martinis, Jim. And we begin north of the border, eh? Because that's where, up in Canada, what appears to be the longest convoy in world history is headed to Justin Trudeau's front door in Ottawa. And that's because the truckers do not like the federal government's vaccine mandate for cross-border truckers, which took effect on January 15th. And so the Canadian Trucking Alliance estimates that roughly 15% of truckers in the country are not fully vaccinated. That means 16,000 truck drivers. And that can uh, mean a lot of things are delayed, which a lot of us in the United States have figured out. It's 70 kilometers long. And so, Jim, of course, since I live in America, I have to translate that. So I went on Google and it's 43 and a half miles long. That's a long convoy. That's a really long convoy, which, of course, Justin Trudeau uh, is referring to as a small fringe minority of truckers. Yeah, that's not my definition of a small fringe minority. So, again, uh, whether you should have to do it versus whether it's a good idea, two totally different things. And so trying to ruin people's livelihoods, potentially uh, make a lot of people's lives more miserable by forcing that many uh, truckers off the roads. Good for them for making their voices heard. And hopefully we see a little more freedom north of the border. You know, Greg, there's something odd about this conflict growing more heated and coming to this kind of, I hope it's an apex, you know, this, this grand confrontation in Ottawa. Uh, between the truckers and the government, because here in the United States or South Canada, as I suppose they see us, they, you know, Starbucks said, you know what, we're telling our employees to get vaccinated. We're giving them time off if they want to do it. We're giving them time off if they have a reaction to the shot, but we're not going to fire people who don't get the shot. Um, The federal government is once again, kicking the can down the road on any enforcement of any uh, consequences for not being vaccinated. The U S postal service Every a whole bunch of institutions in the United States who are all pro-vaccinated, who are not listening to Alex Berenson, who are not listening to Joe Rogan, or like who are all really want people to get vaccinated, are realizing, you know what? Enforcing a mandate is harder than it looks, and in fact, it probably creates more problems. We've got our folks vaccinated in the high ninety-some percent. That's probably good enough. If if they don't want to get vaccinated, they're assuming the risk. That's on them. Um, we're just going to go back to the business of what we're supposed to do, which for, co- which for Starbucks is coffee and for the, the, for the federal government, it's making the government run. And for the U.S. Postal Service, it's delivering junk mail. That's, that's primarily what their <laughs> missions are, right? And yet up in Canada, Justin Trudeau could say, look, we need these truckers to deliver the supplies and goods there, eh? Uh, we need our, you know, maple syrup delivered. We need our ham. We need our poutine. You know, all these things that are important for the Canadian economy. Uh, I encourage all truckers to get vaccinated, but I no, do not want to enforce this. Man- and he's not. And, and I really do feel like you know that you get into an argument with somebody and you realize what they're arguing. The topic you're arguing isn't really what they're fighting about. There's some sort of subconscious or other issue that really is driving what the fight is about. Uh, this This appears to be it. And I don't know whether it's like you will submit to my authority. I am in charge. How dare you defy me? Like that certainly is the vibe coming off from uh, Trudeau and the other, you know, 
uh, uh, left of center folks in, in the Canadian government. It's really kind of surprising that you'd think this sort of convoy, this, he's like, okay, all right, look, we shouldn't let, we should never should have let it get to this point. Please go get vaccinated, but we're not going to fire if you, fire you if you don't get vaccinated. It's very strange. And I really think it's become this, um, not just ideological, although it's a big chunk of it. It's like identity based, right? It is. If you choose to not get vaccinated, you are somehow undermining my identity as a vaccinated person. That really doesn't, right? You know, if the vaccines work, you should feel pretty well protected. Somebody else chooses not to get vaccinated. Look, we've still got a big chunk of the world that's not vaccinated. The guy down the hall or the guy down the street who's not vaccinated, they're probably not going to be the one where the next you know significant variant emerges. In fact, Omicron is so contagious, maybe everybody's going to have it. We're going to have herd immunity by the time. We've got to be getting pretty close. You have the sheer number of people who've gotten vaccinated, double vaccinated, boosted, had Omicron, had one of the previous versions. God, we've got to be really close to that 80, 90% level. So it just seems like a really needless fight. Uh, good for the Canadian truckers. And I certainly think that, that it's hard to imagine a more effective way of making their voices heard than by this uh, uh, just mega convoy uh, that we're seeing there. Yeah, in some ways, I'm a little bit torn here, Jim, because obviously I love these guys expressing their uh, opinions and uh, doing it in a very visible and obvious way uh, to to protect their rights and, and to fight for their rights. At the same time, I grew up in northern Michigan on two-lane roads, and the idea of being behind 50,000 trucks uh, <laughs> and waiting for those dotted yellow lines to pass them one at a time on the way to your destination, uh, a little bit stressful, just thinking about that. So, uh, I was gonna say, Are you sure we don't have that many on the Beltway every rush hour? Are you sure? <laughs> All right. It seems that way. Seems that high. Maybe it's not. Yes, exactly right. So uh, anyway, good luck to them. Uh, hope they at least set the record. Uh, changing Justin Trudeau's mind, I think, is going to be harder than that. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. If shelves are empty, and keep in mind, if there is a showdown here and your shelves are empty, uh, blame Justin Trudeau because the truckers, they're not going to show up in your aisles. They unload the stuff. They might go into the stock room, but they're not going to be near you as you're, as you're shopping there up in Canada. So and the same thing goes here where we have a bunch of vaccine mandates still trying to be forced on people as well. But uh, nonetheless, Jim, uh, after you're done with that uh, 50,000 truck convoy and 43 and a half miles long, uh, these truckers, just like they do after all these long runs, they need a they need a way to relax and unwind and, and feel better. And the products from MyPillow could not be better once they get home or get some MyPillow products for your cab. Either way, it works. Uh, the MyPillows are great. Uh, the Giza Dream Sheets, fantastic. The towels. And right now they're focusing on a great deal on the new My Slippers, which I absolutely love. Best slippers I have ever had. And they're made of terrific quality. And right now, 40% off the new My Slippers when you go to MyPillow.com and use our promo code Martini. Now, as you may have heard me say, these are not just any old slippers. The My Slippers spent two years in development to ensure the highest quality and comfort. The My Slippers are designed to be worn all day, indoors, outdoors, wherever you like. The My Slippers are available in moccasin or slip-on style, and they come in a variety of colors and sizes. And the My Slippers are made with quality leather suede and the exclusive three-tier cushioning system. This includes the My Pillow patented fill, the impact gel, and the memory foam. For a limited time, MyPillow offering 40% off the new My Slippers. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Listener's Square. Do not forget to click on the Radio Listener's Square. Enter the promo code MARTINI or call 800-874-0104 and use the code there. 
And while you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all of the MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and the MyPillow towel sets. But you can only save 40% on the new MySlippers with our promo code MARTINI. So use that code MARTINI when you call 800-874-0104 or at MyPillow.com. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now, and we're still talking Russia and Ukraine. Yesterday, we were talking about how the Chinese are kind of sitting back, putting their feet up and watching how the U.S. handles the uh, the Russia saber-rattling towards uh, Ukraine and potentially uh, the invasion, if Biden is right, that it's imminent here. But that's kind of where we're focused today. Biden had a call with uh, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, and it's kind of odd here, Jim. Usually, it's the country with the other countries' troops massing on the border that's kind of more concerned about an imminent evasion. And right now it's Zelensky and Ukrainian saying, hey, everybody, sleep well, man. It's going to be fine. Nothing nothing to be worried about at this point. Whereas Biden is saying, come on, man, they're going to sack Kiev. What are you talking about? Uh, you lay this out all very well in the jolt today. Zelensky's also upset with Biden, not for sending weapons, but for not sending the weapons he actually thinks he needs. Apparently, uh, if there's a ground invasion, uh, they've got you know, more stuff from us that will help with that. But he's actually more concerned about what the Russians could do through the air. And apparently we're not sending uh, much of anything for that. And it appears Biden's pretty much done sending stuff at all. So where, where do we stand here? I could just imagine Biden kind of barking at this guy, almost like he's a White House reporter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he got the Ducey treatment, perhaps. Um, the first thought is that maybe if you're a president, uh, and Ukrainian President uh, Volodymyr Zelensky is on the line. Don't answer the phone because <laughs> nothing good comes from phone calls with Zelensky. Thinking back to Trump and the first impeachment, it has been very strange that for the last couple of weeks, really, the Ukrainian government, it's not just Zelensky, who, by the way, is a former comedian who was on a Saturday Night Live style program uh, before he entered politics and who jumped uh, from, from you know entertainment to uh, becoming the the head of his his country's government um he's no, it's not just him his defense minister has said that you know we're not as concerned uh you know there was this weird comment and again this is coming through translation maybe it loses something in there but uh the you know president said we are strong enough to keep everything under control and derail any attempts at destabilization uh, and then the defense minister said, as of today, there's no grounds to believe Russia will invade imminently. You get that funny feeling of like, depends on how broadly you're defining the term imminently. But then there was this comment from the defense minister, Oleski Reznikov, uh, don't worry, sleep well, there is no need to have your bags packed. Now, apparently the evacuation of family members of U.S. diplomats irked the Ukrainians. But, you know, there's like 100,000 100, to 130,000 uh, Russian troops on the border could this be a feint? Yeah, I guess. But you know, at some point, you just move so much stuff that it becomes harder and harder that this is some sort of symbolic, uh, you know, saber rattling. And that no, no, this this is really exactly what they would do if they intended to invade. And it's this weird point in which the U.S. government seems much more concerned and seems to think a, a Russian invasion is much more imminent than the Ukrainian government does. If this if this goes badly. This could cost the, you know, the Biden administration some real embarrassment. If this goes badly, this could cost the Ukrainian government their lives. Like, they're just really weird to see this. So you're left wondering, you know, do the Ukrainians know something that the Americans don't? I suppose it's conceivable by both geography, shared culture, shared uh, language, things like that. You know, it's conceivable that, you know, Ukrainian might know, you, you, the Ukrainian intelligence might know something the U.S. intelligence doesn't. 
But then again, U.S. intelligence spends a lot of time and money trying to figure out what the Russian government is doing. So it'd be really hard to believe that. And then they just kind of wonder, like, is Zelensky just in denial? Is he just you know, recognizing the fact that he might be the last Ukrainian president for a long time? Or he might lose uh, conceivably half of his country or, or you know, uh, deposed in a coup and replaced by some pro like. Is, is this guy just flat out walking around insisting, you know, that things are fine and every, you know, doing a Chip Diller impression all is well? I, it's a really unnerving aspect of it. And that's just his part of the conversation. Um, Biden is, is, you know, trying to emphasize this. Now, there's some different you know, arguments about how Biden characterized it, whether he said that it was imminent. Um, the, the words in, in the account from CNN's Matthew Chance, now he's describing this from a, quote, senior Ukrainian official. It's conceivable that this, con- this phone call between Biden and Zelensky goes bad and the Ukraine- senior Ukrainian official wants to make Biden look worse. So they're uh, exaggerating what Biden said or something like that. But the, the, in this account, it says uh, Biden was saying that a Russian invasion is now virtually certain once the ground freezes. Apparently the Russian heavy equipment has a tough time going in mud. Now, I don't know about you, Greg, but don't, don't you think uh, mud and cold weather would be the sort of first thing the Russians would plan for? <laughs> yeah, so a little bit of history there. Um, but you know, the idea is that I guess the idea is I know it's tank treads and things like that. Obviously, they they move quicker over solid ground than over muddy ground. So, uh, according to this account from Matthew Chance of CNN, Kiev could be sacked. Russian forces may attempt to occupy it. Prepare for impact, Biden said. Like, wow, that, that really makes it sound like this is serious. Now, National Security Council spokeswoman Emily Horn said, no, that's not an accurate account. You know, we just said that, you know, Russians could invade Ukraine in February. Uh, he, we've said this publicly. We've said this before, yada, yada, yada. So you add all this up. Oh, the, the part that really jumped out at me, though, and again, this is from unnamed sources attributing this to Biden. Who knows what was actually said, but it said the senior Ukrainian official told CNN that Biden said Ukraine would not be offered significantly more military help. Now, the Ukrainian military is a lot better than it was just seven years ago when uh, Russia when moved into Crimea. But it's still not, you know, that's still a heck of a lot of Russian troops coming across the border. They have the very best Russian uh, uh, military equipment and technology. Uh, and you just look at the sheer amount of stuff they're moving over there. Uh, short-range ballistic missiles, heavy artillery systems, helicopter assets, air assets, paratroopers. They're, they're mobilizing ships in the Black Sea. I mean, Russia's got a lot to, they're going to be able to bring to this. So it sounds like if, if Zelensky is telling the truth, the U.S. has given the, the Ukrainians everything they need to fight a ground war, but not what they need to fight an air war. And that's kind of important because uh, if you don't have the air defense systems, anti-aircraft missiles, stuff like that, well, then Russia is going to control the skies. And with the, if, the, if the enemy controls the skies, you can't do much, right? They're just going to keep blowing up your stuff when they uh, at, at will. Uh, they're going to disrupt your supply lines. They're going to blow up your bases. Your forces will not be able to move around because they'll be sitting ducks as they try to go from one place to another. So unless the Ukrainians have the ability to at least contest control of the skies, this is going to be a short war. And the other thing is that, you know, this idea that the U.S. is not shipping, uh, doesn't plan on shipping a lot more weapons to Ukraine, that turns it into a war of attrition. Russia can outlast Ukraine. I mean, that's, you know, this is, they've, they can always go back to Russia and get more guys. They can always ship more ammunition and stuff like that. You know, Ukraine's ability to resist is going to be entirely dependent upon this ability to keep the supply lines going, to be able to ha- keep giving them new ammunition, new armor, replace the stuff that gets blown up, all that kind of stuff. As I put in today's morning jolt, Greg, 
haven't we all had this like front row seat for how important supply chains are? <laughs> like, you know, shouldn't that be what everybody's thinking about? Was it Omar Bradley who said, you know, professionals talk logistics, amateurs talk strategy? You know, you're only as strong as your weakest supply line. So you add all this up, it really feels like Biden and Zelensky are talking past each other. And, you know, I just put up in a corner post, I look, my preference is a U.S. policy that unifies NATO, sends a very clear message to Putin, strong deterrence as possible, and basically says, look, you can try to take Ukraine, but it's going to cost you so much in blood and treasure, you're going to lose everything else. It's going to be absolutely, it's not going to be worth the price. Go find another way to build your legacy. You're, you're not going to find it here. This is, you know, you're going to create a whole bunch of problems for yourself and your country if you make this move. I do kind of wonder if Joe Biden and the team around him is capable of executing that kind of policy. I don't know if this is in Biden's mindset. I think he's just inherently a conflicted guy because he wants to do two things at once. He wants to stand up to Putin. He spent the whole 2020 campaign talking about how much he was going to stand up to Putin. And Biden also wants to avoid anything that could lead to a shooting war between the U.S. and, and Russia. And like this is, look, I don't envy the man. That's a tough choice. But in a certain, you know, to govern is to choose, and you have to choose which is your higher priority right now. And I think we saw in that press conference, Biden's kind of muddled in his thinking here. He's he, we're definitely going to stand up to anything unless it's a minor incursion. So if you're feeling really nervous about Ukraine and Russia, I, I can see it. And there are a whole bunch of my colleagues who I respect a great deal. Michael Brennan Doherty comes to mind, but there are others who have a, you would be wrong to call them isolationists, let's just say non-interventionist, and who basically make the argument that while the U.S. would like to preserve Ukraine's territorial integrity, the U.S. does not need to preserve Ukraine's territorial integrity. Putin wants a symbolic victory here. And is it worth a all-out messy shooting war in Europe to prevent Putin a symbolic victory? I'm not convinced that of that position yet, but let's just say I see where they're coming from. And if they have real worries about whether, Putin can, whether uh, Joe Biden can be a wartime leader, Brother, I know where you're coming from. Jim, I think the reason uh, there might be a, a disagreement on the imminence of Russian action here is the definition of imminent. Because as we know, Vladimir Putin likes to uh, invade former Soviet republics during the Olympics. And they're still a week before the Olympics start uh, over there in Beijing. And so for Zelensky, he's like, ah, I got a week. Uh, and, and meanwhile, Biden's like, yes, you yep. got a week, man. Come on. Somebody pointed out that like two of the past seven Olympics have featured Russian military actions against its neighbors. So technically that's 29%. That's, that's actually a lot, you know? Uh, I believe, uh, Crimea was shortly after Sochi and I believe Georgia was after, uh, wasn't it the, was it the summer Olympics in Beijing? Yeah. 2008. Yep. yep. Exactly. So, you know, yeah, you know, it's kind of an Olympic habit, you know? You know, you've got your your downhill slalom, your 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 couples figure skating, and then you've got your you know you're invading. That's that's always been where Russians are uh, very tough competitors in that category. All right, let's move on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And just as we uh, talked about the retirement or impending retirement of Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer yesterday, we mentioned we were taping <laughs> right around the same time that uh, Biden and Breyer were appearing to officially announce uh, that Breyer would be stepping down from the court. And at that time, uh, you hear kind of what you expect to hear, except for the fact that Biden's already told us essentially what he's looking for in his next Supreme Court justice. So Here's how Biden put it uh, yesterday, and I think it tells us a couple of things. The person I will nominate will be someone with extraordinary qualifications, character, experience, and integrity. And that person will be the first black woman ever nominated to the United States Supreme Court. 
It's long overdue in my view. I made that commitment during the campaign for president, and I will keep that commitment. And I'm fortunate to have advising me in this election process, Vice President Kamala Harris. She's an exceptional lawyer, former attorney general of the state of California, former member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. I'll meet with the potential nominees, and it is my intention, my intention to announce my decision before the end of February. I have made no choice at this point. First of all, Jim, he says he's going to rely on the advice of Vice President Harris when it comes to choosing a new Supreme Court justice. So I think that's his polite way of saying, no, it's not going to be her. So those of you hoping to find a convenient way to get her off the ticket without making her mad, uh, not going to happen. The odd part is that he is uh, waiting until the end of February when you would probably think, especially if he had wind of Breyer's decision a while ago, that he would have his uh, top choice pretty much ready to go. Uh, of course, he's promising to pick a black woman for this job, as you heard in the clip. But uh, that is uh, leading to some controversy over Georgetown University, because uh, one of their professors over there is Ilya Shapiro, a conservative uh, who is not happy with Biden's demographic litmus test. He had a couple of tweets, which he has since taken down. One says, because Biden said he's only considering black women for SCOTUS, his nominee will always have an asterisk attached fitting that the court takes up affirmative action next term. Then in another tweet, he says the objectively best pick for the vacancy would be Sri Srinivasan, who I'm probably butchering that name, who sits on the U.S. Court of Appeals. He's a, quote, solid progressive and very smart, even has identity politics benefit of being the first Asian slash Indian American, but alas, doesn't fit into the latest intersectionality hierarchy so we'll get a lesser black woman. And obviously that last phrase can certainly uh, lead to a lot of people cringing. I bet he regrets that particular phrasing. But uh, Jim, nonetheless, the president, just like with his vice presidential selection, uh, has decided this is the most important criteria, although he insists uh, that uh, that the quality of the jurist is obviously going to be very important. And it's certainly possible, as we said yesterday, that the very best choice would be from there, even though Shapiro disagrees. And of course, as a result of all this, uh, there is now a massive uh, campaign among Georgetown Law students to get Shapiro fired over those posts. So Jim, uh, what do you make of all this drama here and uh, and the waiting game uh, that's gonna be playing out? Yeah, so first of all, uh, Ilya Shapiro and I haven't always agreed on anything, but I do reject the notion that he is some sort of uh, secret, hateful, racist maniac lurking in the halls of Georgetown University. Uh, if, if anything, he's guilty of tweeting without thinking about how his words could be perceived or misconstrued by others. Uh, you know, 50 lashes with a wet noodle. He said he didn't mean it that way. I don't really see the, I don't, certainly there's no need for him to be fired. And I think it's pretty obvious what Stern is doing here. You know, if you, if you keep calling it to the attention of the Dean, you clearly are calling for, you know, some sort of professional or economic repercussion against uh, Shapiro over this and the punishment does not fit the crime. And that's even with the generous assumption that any crime, and I'm making air quotes as I say that was committed here. Um, so, you know, Georgetown, you want to talk to the guy, ask the guy what he really meant. Fine. Don't let this be another case in which, you know, uh, there's this, you know, woke rush to judgment and a desire to fire somebody in order to placate a Twitter mob that will never be placated. Um, the other, regarding the other thing, it was just it, it, that that was the um, Biden's comment that he would do it by the end of February. Well, we're not even in February. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, so we got three days and we got 20. Yes, February is a short month, but you add it up, it's like 31 days. And, you know, look, maybe he'll do it early next week and this is all kind of moot, but it did seem kind of strange 
that you know because like the other thing was that Chuck Schumer at the same time is like we're gonna get this done fast we're gonna operate on the same schedule they did for Barrett boom 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 and then Biden says well I think I'll get to you by February 28th <laughs> like it's very tough the Senate can't start doing stuff until they have a nominee and the other thing that just seems odd about this is that there's been questions about whether Breyer was going to retire all year long if you are in the White House and you're uh, paying attention to the judiciary and paying attention to the nominations you're sending to the Senate, you you kind of had to know that there was a chance this was going to happen. You know the president has said it's going to be an African-American woman. So you'd think that list would be pretty much ready to go. And I, you, do you want to do an additional background check? Sure. Uh, maybe you want to double check if any controversial writings you're going to have to defend. Um, you know, any unpaid taxes, uh, parking, you know, anything that could come up in a confirmation hearing that could cause the nominee trouble. Sure. Yes, absolutely. And that sort of stuff takes time. But the idea that it would take close to a month seems kind of weird. Um, unless, you know, the, the other thought I have is that maybe Biden, uh, as I said, this is going to be a really normal political controversy for an administration that's got all kinds of really abnormal problems right now. So maybe they want to drag this out. Maybe there's a logic to Let's turn it into a guessing game. Let's turn it into uh, the Bachelorette. You know, who is Biden going to give the rose to, and and who's going to be his selection? I guess they think they can turn that into a, a big story. But in the end, you pick somebody, and as I said, you know, all you know, they're, they're, barring some huge curveball, this nominee is going to get confirmed with all of the Democratic votes and maybe a handful of Republican votes, and it's going to, you know, I, I don't see a lot of drama in this. I don't foresee. I mean, I could be wrong. You know. Nobody thought. Nobody saw Brett Kavanaugh's selection shaking out the way it did. So maybe things turn out to be a huge story, but I think in the end it's just going to come and go. An idea, like so, I don't really understand why, if you're the the White House, you know, taking a month is is. I just don't really see the logic in that. It does kind of indicate maybe a little bit less preparation for this uh, than we might have expected. So we'll see how things shake out, Greg. But that just seems like an odd note uh, from a. This way. Uh, for th this administration that has not exactly seemed enormously quick in its re reaction time and response time, an announcement it'll take them a month to give them a, pre uh, a Supreme Court nominee seems a little weird. Well, it's still give enough time to have somebody on the court by the end of June, I would think. But uh, you mentioned that uh, <laughs> the Democrats on Capitol Hill have a shorter timetable. I saw a headline and in a couple sentences. I need to dig deeper into the story, but it's basically like, we got to get this done now. What if one of the Democrats dies? I mean, not that they're panicking or anything. <laughs> don't slip on any ice pat lady <laughs> bernie use a handrail jim who you got in the super bowl who's going to win the championship games this weekend uh i'd originally picked kansas city and green bay to see how that shook out so <laughs> i think i'm gonna say kansas city and the rams which could have been like this ultimate you know state of missouri battle between kansas city and st louis except that the rams have since moved i think that's the best and most uh best uniform combination you know bright red versus bright blue i think we look really good on the screen um beyond that uh you know i i i'm actually i for for those you know that small band of bengals fans out there who, who like a little bit like Groundhog Day? They they poke their heads out and things have not been good. And I, I was, you know, as I think we said, you know, that OJ Simpson. The last time the Bengals won a playoff game, OJ Simpson was doing post game interviews with a coach. Yeah. Um. I feel look, Cincinnati Bengals fans, you're great. Enjoy it. I think you're well suited for a, a lot of good years to come. But it's a little too early, right? You don't get to jump from a disappointing finish to the Super Bowl in one year. You rarely see that. So I think this is going to be Mahomes. Um. 
I, I have no real beefs against the San Francisco 49ers, but I think uh, the Rams have to get such disappointment of getting to the Super Bowl against the Patriots a few years ago and just flopping. Uh, I think a Rams uh, uh, Chiefs Super Bowl would be great. I think Matthew Stafford could be this great phenomenal comeback story and shows that anybody, anybody can overcome any disadvantage in life, including being drafted by the Detroit Lions. <laughs> the closest lion fans are going to get to the super bowl in a long time because uh <laughs> uh it's like bears fans being happy that robbie gold kicked the game winner against the packers but uh it'd be even nicer if your team could actually uh get that done i think you're right i think it's going to be chiefs rams assuming the chiefs aren't basking in the glow of their miracle uh comeback last week but i, I think at home they'll they'll probably get it done uh the rams clearly will have the advantage at home but they were at home against the niners on the last week of the regular season and the Niners found a way too, but three straight road wins in the playoffs. Tough to pull off. Can be done. Buccaneers did it last year, but uh, uh, I'd be very impressed if the if the Niners could, could pull that off. But I, I agree. I think it's going to be Chiefs-Rams in the Super Bowl, but uh, hoping the games are uh, even close to as dramatic as last weekend, but we'll see. So, Jim, have a great weekend and uh, see you Monday. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. Thank you so much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. They really do help us get a little bit higher on the search engines when folks are looking for political podcasts. So please keep those coming. Uh, get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. And follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend and join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next.